Welcome to this podcast of hope and inspiration from Sequoia Community Church in Oakland, California. Sequoia represents a multicultural, multi-generational community who seeks God's presence. We thrive on discipleship and outreach, loving God and loving people. Email, contact, and website information will be provided at the end of this podcast or by going to myscc.co. Loud with me. In Christ, I am chosen before the foundation of the world. In Christ, I am holy and blameless in his sight. In Christ, I am predestined and purposed. In Christ, I am adopted as his own. In Christ, I am redeemed by his blood. In Christ, I am forgiven by the riches of his grace. In Christ, I am marked by the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that's just some of what it says in those first 13 verses. You need to rehearse who God says you are. And then he builds on that as he goes deeper into that next chapter, or that first chapter, excuse me. And he says this, in verses 14 through 23, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, so first of all, he's telling you this is your identity, and then he builds on that, and he's saying, this is how God sees you and what you're capable of. Isn't that part of my identity? Yes. But now he's teaching us to pray something that's life-changing. So we're going to say this together, and we want to say this as a prayer. So Holy Spirit, help me see the hope I have in God, the value God finds in me, the power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his Father's right hand in heaven, and gave him all authority is available to me when I believe. It's exclusive. It's available to the people who believe. The only way that you join the club is you have to, but when you believe, you have access to his power. Did you get that? So you have, to, you have to be able to say, this is who I am in Christ. It's my identity. And at the same time, you're praying that God will help you to capture the hope and the value and the power that you have in Christ Jesus. When you couple what I'm talking about right now with 2 Timothy 2.2 and we're to entrust this message, this is the message that transforms us and transforms the people who are around us. Elijah Davis, come on up here. I want you to see the difference that it makes when we simply open our mouth and embrace our destiny, our hope, our value, and the power that we have in Christ. We have five interns. We're going to have more of them share their testimony. But you had a chance to go to Mardi Gras. Yes. Okay? I've had friends who have gone and done street witnessing during Mardi Gras. And all they would do is they would worship in the streets as they were traveling. They said as they were worshiping in the streets, people would throw bottles at them. They'd be cussing in their face, doing all kinds of things that are part of Mardi Gras to distract them. You gotta know your identity. You gotta walk in the hope and the value and the power that we have in Christ. And when we do, he changes everything. So Brother Davis, tell us a little bit of what you encountered as you were doing some street witnessing on the streets of Mardi Gras. Yeah, so um, this is the last day and um, by then I'm super tired. I was ready to go home, um, if I'm being honest. And um, I saw this man, he was on a bike, and he wasn't on the block where people were drinking and smoking and doing crazy things. He was going the opposite way, and he was just observing. 
And I felt like a draw to go to him. So I went up to him and I just started talking to him casually, like, oh, are you from here? And do you know like things about Mardi Gras? And we were just talking for 15 or 20 minutes. And then the hardest part of evangelism to me is the transition from being like a friendship and then into Jesus. So I kind of did that kind of like. How many uh, guys said that's kind of the hardest part for me too? So okay, do you think talking about your best friend should be hard? There's something demonic happening in there that you break past, and when you do, you enter into the hope and the value and the power of Christ. Okay, so go ahead and tell me what happens. Yeah, so once I did that, um, I asked him, like, why are you here? And he was saying that he wanted to fill a void inside of his heart with the drugs and the alcohol. And that moment, I felt God speak to me. I should share my testimony. So I told him a little bit about my mom and her situation and how right now she's still battling with drugs and alcohol, and it's been 10 years, and she's still not satisfied. And I could see in his face, his eyes begin to change. He began to open up more about his situation. He was telling me that he he lived in New Orleans his whole life, and he felt like he just uh, got uh, dealt a bad hand. And I was telling him that there's a God out there that loves him, and only he can satisfy. And he was saying that, you know, I, I know that. He was saying that he was a Christian. So even then, he was like, I backslid it. I've been to church in a few years. But this conversation is making me want to go back to church. And he was saying he felt the chills of the Holy Spirit while I was praying for him. And um, by the end of it, he rededicated his life to God. And um, right before I ended it, he asked me, do you know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is? And I was like, yeah. He was like, you know, I just want that again. So uh, we prayed for that on Bourbon Street, and he received his baptism of the Holy Spirit right there. Yes. Um, And to God to be all the glory, he did exceedingly above what I thought. Okay, this is a prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might... No, not think, not guess. You might know the hope to what he's called you. Look at somebody next to you, point your finger in their face, you say, he's called you to hope. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Look at somebody else and say, God says you're valuable. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. God says you're powerful. Amen. Elijah, you did great. We're proud of you. Hey, all of our interns, all five of you, would you stand up? If you're not here working with the kids, some of them I think might be working with the kids. Tiff and Stan, William, Janae, you guys, we're proud of you. Thank you. Joy, would you come on up here? That's just chapter one. When he starts going into chapter two, it's all about the grace of God that he has placed upon our life, not that we've earned, not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And as a result of that, he not only saved us, but he also seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms, and he prepared us, enabled us to do good work, to do things that we could never do on our own. And I was listening to this young lady's testimony, how God, by his grace, has so touched you, And I said, somehow I need you to consolidate this. Look here to laugh. (laughs) So preacher, tell me about the grace of God. Because we need to know how powerful it is. And you give us an example of that in your testimony. Okay, so he wants me to give my testimony in five minutes. So here I go. (laughs) I'll try. Um, So um, not all of us had the privilege of being born into a Christian family. 
and I uh, was uh, born into an unbelieving family. My father's family were Presbyterian, my mother's family were Catholic, my parents divorced when I was two, and my stepfather was Jewish, and all of them were ungodly. They didn't know anything about God and didn't know how to tell me. And, and so uh, in spite of that, I had a hunger for God. And I had two profound experiences as a little girl where I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and felt God drawing me. And um, one was at an Easter service and one was at a Passover Seder. And, um, and so I started asking about Jesus, who is Jesus? And my stepfather read the Torah to me and he said, well, we don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We only believe that he was a prophet and a good man uh, and did good works. Um, but I kept asking, well, what about Jesus? Well, what about Jesus? And in his Jewish way, he said, enough with the Jesus already. Enough. Stop asking. So, uh, so finally, um, you know, uh, I was about 14 years old and a backslidden Christian met, I met, he was giving me guitar lessons and he told me how I could meet Jesus and be saved. And so, uh, I love that. Yeah. A backslidden Christian. Yes. A backslidden Christian. Witnessed who Jesus is to you. Yes. Yes. Boy, how about us who aren't backslidden doing some of that witnessing? <laughs> That's kind of a good thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, I got down on the, my knees in the bathroom and hid, you know, from my family in the middle of the night. And I asked the Lord, I prayed the sinner's prayer and asked the Lord to come into my life. And this man, this backslidden man gave me my first Bible. But then there was no discipleship, no church, no Christian fellowship, no nothing. And so I didn't know what to do. I read the Bible, but I didn't really understand it. So by the time I was 16, I got married and I had a little girl. And two days after she was born, she died. And then um, my, my marriage was very difficult. And uh, after five years, um, I decided to leave my husband. And in that time, my sister had committed suicide. My grandmother had died of bone cancer and my father had died of stomach cancer. And so I was very disillusioned. Um, and so, but my brother-in-law um, had taken me to a, a church and, and I had asked him, could I go with you? And um, so it was an all Spanish speaking uh, assemblies of God called El Faro de Pentecostes, which means the fire of Pentecost. And, um, and when the pastor gave an altar call, I ran to the altar. I ran to the altar and asked the Lord to come into my heart. But with all these circumstances, I ended up backsliding. And so I was angry with God because of all my loved ones who had died. So um, I was lost and searching and looking. In the meantime, uh, I met my husband, Larry, and we uh, got married. 
And um, I started involved in what they call the New Age movement. Now, I don't know how many of you know about that, but um, essentially it's neo-paganism. It's the new, um, new order of um, spiritualism that uh, pervades our life here in the United States. And it's, um, it, even though it's called new, it's very old because it comes from the pit of hell. And it's, um, it combines Hinduism, uh, Zen Buddhism, Taoism, Native American uh, philosophy and worship, um, all kinds of types of re, um, philosophies that are incorporated. And it's not um, a religion, it's like, um, it's unorganized, but it's a belief system where you create your own reality through your, your mind, that you create what happens to you. If you're sick, you, you did it to yourself. Uh, if, you, if good things happen to you, then you've created it. So your mind becomes your ruler that, that has the power to um, do good or, or evil to you. And it becomes a trap. So um, they told me that Larry wasn't my soulmate, so I divorced him and um, moved to Marin County. And I became involved with an organization called um, Multidimensional Research and Reality. And uh, I went through a number of spiritual trainings of how to uh, empower my mind. And um, so we were um, given an opportunity to invite spirit guides into our bodies. And so um, we went through a process where we, um, uh, we went on top of Mount Tamalpais, uh, which is actually very uh, biblical because the enemy goes to the high places in the mountains, if you notice in the scriptures. So we went to the top of Mount Tamalpais and we formed a circle and the leader, her name was Angel, and she told uh, each, one, each person to take their turn and invite the spirit guide into their body and to ask them what their name is. So um, one by one they did that and they had kind of animal names like a wolf or an eagle or a bear and so on. And then it was my turn so I lifted up my hands and I said, um, what is your name? And the voice said to me, I am the Lord Jesus Christ, your savior. What are you doing? And I, I saw a really bright light and it threw me back. And, and it was so powerful that I felt like I was gonna fall to the ground. And as soon as he's, his voice said that to me, Angel, who had a spirit guide in her, who was a demon, spirit guides are demons, just if, in case you don't know, she said the demon in her knew that Jesus had showed up. And, he, and she said out loud, Wipe the face of the suffering Christ from your mind. Because she knew the demon in her had told her that Jesus had showed up. 
And so, needless to say, I got off that mountain as fast as I could. <laughs> I rededicated my life to the Lord. I found... <laughs> and at this point, you are an amazing teacher. Yes. And God has used you in extraordinary ways. And it's all because of the grace of God. Well, I... <laughs> Yeah, right. And I, so I asked Larry, do you want to get married again? And he's like, okay. <laughs> so I came back to Hayward and I established myself at uh, Templo de la Cruz and under the mentorship of Pastor Richard Tanyon, um, I, uh, he saw in me the, the teaching spirit. So he, he encouraged me to get an education and to go, I went to Bible college and, and then on to my master's and he wanted me to get my PhD and it was like, and so I just had a hunger to read the word of God because this is the important part. I never wanted to be deceived again. It doesn't matter what people tell you, even in the church, you need to know the word of God. Because the word of God is Jesus himself and it's his way of communicating to us. And, and so he delivered me from all of that. And, you know, Isaiah says we are like sheep, uh, you know, uh, that, are, that are lost. And, and Romans tells us that we worship the creature instead of the creator. You know, and so what, what I learned was that it was through... Um, the, the controlling of the mind, that the enemy uses the mind. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Amen. And so um, that, is my, that is my desire, is to serve the Lord in any way that I can. Come on. Thank you. That is the grace of God. It's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's about the grace of God. And you and I like our identity. Like this prayer that Paul prayed, we need to be people who rehearse the grace of God. Even when we want to rehearse our failures, even when we want to rehearse our sin, we need to say, God, I rehearsed your grace over my life and its transformative power. And then Pastor Randall talked last week, you did a great job, about tearing down the walls that separate us. So what... Joy was talking about is God restoring the vertical, even though God restored relationship with Larry and I'm sure others in the process. Restoring the vertical. And then as you go forward to the remaining part of chapter two, it's about God restoring the horizontal. Now listen, I realize there are some people that you are around or you work with and they want nothing to do with reconciliation. And sometimes it becomes a weight for us to try to make things happen that other people have no desire to see happen. But it is our part to do what we can in tearing our side down. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? That's the grace of God, like in 2 Timothy 2.2, where we take it and we act upon it. My identity, I share it. I want to walk in his hope, his value, and his power, and I share it. I want to walk in the grace of God, and then I share it. Do you see him building this? So now we're in chapter 3. And the cool thing about chapter 3 is how God gives us full access to his presence. So you can follow along in your Bibles, or it'll be up here on the screen, or you can use that sheet of paper that you have in front of you. But I'm hoping that for the next few moments, you'll help me walk through this. We'll learn together. In verse 3, Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, that's you and me, we're the Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Say the word together for me. Together. I can say it again. Say the word together. together. Paul is building on what he has been saying. It's important that you know the scriptures and you read them. Sometimes we go for a favorite passage or a favorite verse. You've got to keep it in context and understand what the whole letter is trying to communicate. He says, for this reason, which means it's built on what Pastor Randall was talking about and the other things that we shared in the weeks prior. And then for the next few, mo few verses, as you're reading, it's like Paul takes a brief detour. For this reason, he's starting his thought. Then he takes a brief detour. And in that detour, he wants you to know that this isn't something new that he just came up with. This is something that God has always been in the process of wanting to reveal. And that Paul is an administrator. It's his purpose to be able to share it. And then he goes back in in verse 6, and he puts it all together. So let me take away the digression. He says, for this reason, go into verse 6, this mystery that is through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Say the word together. There are three times in this one verse, Paul says the word together. If he's going to say it that often in that context, you got to know it's important for us. So what is he trying to communicate? He says that we as Gentiles, that's you and me, we are heirs together with Israel, which means that you as a Gentile have access to the same promise as Abraham. Every promise that you read in the first Testament of the old Testament, you and I have access to. Because we are walking together with Israel. He also says we're members together of one body. you got to understand, he's making clear, we belong. If you were here and heard the message that Pastor Randall was sharing last week, it was really great. Because you understand, Paul could have created two different churches. This is the one for the Jews, and this is the one for the Gentiles. In the early 80s, if you've been around that long, there was a church growth movement that talked about the homogeneous principle. In the homogeneous principle, it says, you work with people who look like you. So it endorsed starting white churches and making sure we have black churches and Latino churches and we have Asian churches. You have people who are like a certain marketable group and you'll grow more quickly. And in some senses, I will tell you that they did. And I will tell you that it's easier I'm not telling you that it's godly. Amen. That's right. 
What God wanted was what Pastor Randall shared. We tear down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, male and female, barbarian and Scythian, between those people who are educated and uneducated. He wants to tear down all of those barriers so that we walk together and every person in this room knows you belong. So we have access to the same promises as Israel. And we belong together. And then he says it again. We are sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus, which is really really another way to bring the Jews back into the congregation, back into the conversation. Do you get it? If he's saying to the Gentiles, you have access to everything that's in the First Testament, he wants to make sure the Jews understand you have access to everything that Jesus said too. You're not excluded from this moment. You're part of it. And if God is saying to all of us that we have hope and we have value... If he's saying to us that we walk in power, he wants everyone in the church to know you all together have this. The interesting thing is how that part of our passage ends. It says, together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So in three chapters, listen to me, in three chapters, don't let this be excluded because it goes a little deeper than maybe where you want to go. In Christ Jesus, the word in Christ, that phrase, has already been used 18 times. 18 times. He's trying to get our attention. You're in Christ. That thing we just talked about with Violet putting that force field around Dash, you're protected. You're provided. These people are attacking me, Pastor. They're coming up. Do you understand? He, he has covered you. You're shielded in the blood of Jesus. His identity is on you. You're walking in his promises. You belong. Do you realize that everything that Jesus says is now yours? You are in Christ. And I kept thinking in a moment, you look at that page that you've been given right there. How is your life different? How could it be different if you actually lived your life like you knew you were living in Christ? If you just knew what he said about me, you're in Christ. It's so hard. I go every Monday and it's school and they say this, you're in Christ. And you begin to live in the reality of who he says you are. There's something transformative about that. But you got to rehearse it. You got to come back to it over and over again. This is what he's telling us that we live out together. And then he starts talking about this mystery that we just read about. We're living in Christ. That has changed us. That changed Paul. And he won't let us forget it. Look at verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people... This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for boundless riches. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Wait, 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 wait. So it's not just Paul's administration. It's now becoming something entrusted to you and me. It now becomes our purpose. For which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Paul is saying, I'm a servant. Literally, he's saying, I'm a waiter. I'm here to serve you something very important. He humbles himself and he says, I'm the least of all God's people. 
Paul is saying, I'm less than you. And if you read at the end of chapter 7 of the book of Acts, you can read this later, at the beginning of Acts 8, you'll understand some of his history and background, how he was a guy who tortured the early church. So this guy walks with the weight of what he did. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. That image is still probably in his brain, though God has forgiven him. God washed him clean. I know God heals memories, but you understand. This guy is walking with a very real sense of his own failure. And he has no problem saying to you and I, I need this grace. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. And then he's saying, it's my mission. It's my purpose to let you in on this long hidden mystery. I love how he sets this up. You guys take the time to read it. It's like he's a good author of a mystery novel. And he keeps holding you off on telling you what the mystery is about. I have this mystery that's been hidden since long ages past. It's been revealed to these prophets and to these apostles a long time ago. And I want you to know I'm not worthy of what God's about. And this whole time you're saying, please just share the mystery. What is it? We get on the boundless riches of God's grace. And this is where he takes us. I want you to say the word known. Say it again, known. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, who's the church? We are. Who's the church? We are. It's us. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Wait, 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 wait. Who are the manifold, who are the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms? Do you remember when we had this conversation? Illustration. I want to make sure that you get this. It's important. If this is earth right here, and this is the atmosphere that we see and sometimes call the heavens, and then there's another area that we call the heavenlies where the rulers are. This is where angels and demons and all that stuff exists. And then there's the highest heavens where God himself exists over and above everything else. That's where Jesus is seated with his father. Are you with me? Are you with me? If you look in the book of Ephesians, from Ephesians 1, where Jesus was set above all these things and seated at the right hand of God the Father, and you go to Ephesians 6, you can write it, we're going to go through it later, but you understand that we don't wrestle against principalities and powers, but against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. What he's primarily talking about right here is the evil stuff. The rulers who are against what God wants to see happen in and around us. He's making known what he's been doing in you and me to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's doing something multidimensional. You thought it was just about you. But through his church, he's doing something beyond you and I. He's making a statement through us to all the other rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You could not stop me from doing what I wanted to do in the lives of these people. My plan was to empower. My plan was to save. My plan was to deliver. And you tried to stop that and continue to try to stop that because the power of my grace. Do you realize that? 
Jesus tells a story. This is for free. I'll come back from the notes. Jesus tells a story, if you guys remember, about the seed that's scattered on different soils. And some of you have been around that for a long time. You understand that story. At one point, Jesus talks about birds eating the seeds. You guys remember that? Some of you are aware of that? So what happens even when the bird tries to eat the seed? The bird poops it out, and now the seed has got fertilizer. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. There's a courtroom in heaven where God is now taking your life and what he's doing in you, and he's putting you on display. So think about this for a moment, will you? I mean, would you stand? Irene's going to represent us. This is the defense, and you're in the audience of this great courtroom right here. Kayla, I want you to stand over here. And this is the devil. She's not the devil. She is priceless, and I love her. Just want to let you guys get this, okay? And on the bench, doing a rough example right here, Judge. Bear with me. At the bench is God himself. And what you see happening, I'll give you an example of this. First Peter 5.8. Write it down. First Peter 5.8. In First Peter 5.8, it says that we have an adversary called the devil. You know that word adversary is made up of two words in the Greek, anti and dikos, which means right. He's against our rights. He's fighting against your right in a courtroom. So Kayla's representing that, and this devil is now speaking this, this spewing. I know what all these people have done. I know all the ways that they have failed you, all the ways that they've come short. I know what happened on that hill, Joy. I know where you felt fear in any given moment in your life, Elijah. I know exactly what's happening in around. These people have failed. I got them. You look at Revelation 12, 11, and it says, and they, that's you and me. Look at somebody say, that's you. And they overcame him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb, that's what Jesus did, and the word of our testimony. You know where the word of testimony is a judicial word. It's a, judi it's a legal term. It's where a judicial witness stands up and they say, this is what I've seen. This is what is accomplished in my life. So in the midst of the accusations of the enemy, that's not you, just the police. You have, you and I saying, this is what the grace of God has done with me. I have failed miserably. I have come short of the glory of God, but God saved me. Every attempt of the enemy to try to ruin me was met with the grace and the mercy of God. And God says in this moment, when we go back to the book of Ephesians, he says, devil, what you tried to do to steal, kill, and destroy, I poured in abundance. Where you wanted to rip them down, I wanted to build them up. You wanted them to be lost, they are now found. You want to be oppressed and possessed. I want to set them free and understand their full potential in my name. He is putting you and I on display to say to the enemy, there is no way you get these people. They belong to me. Thank you. Thank you, Irene. I want you to understand you are God's masterpiece. Do you hear the letter coming together? Do you hear it coming together? You're God's masterpiece. And he puts you on display in the heavenly realms to make sure that you understand. There's not a thing the enemy would try to throw at you that he, by his grace, cannot overcome. Did you get that? There's not a thing that the enemy would try to do to defeat you. 
not shame, not guilt, not condemnation, not fear, not lust, not rejection. There's not a thing, not bitterness, not anger. There's not a thing that he's throwing you that by his grace, he does not give you the power to overcome. And you've got to hear the pride of a good father speaking over their kids and saying, this is what I've accomplished in you. This is what I've done in you. This is who you are. You may see this. I'm telling you what I see. And every ruler and every authority that's ever come against you, I'm the one saying, this is my kid. God sees you in Christ. Do you see it? Where you feel defeated right now, you are in Christ. Where you feel overwhelmed, you are in Christ. Where you don't think you can make it, he says, you are in me. I will accomplish as the author and the finisher of your faith everything that I've destined for you to do. I prepared you in advance to do good work. Do you see it? Some of you are in this place, you don't even know that Jesus loves you like this. You, you don't know that God wants you. Like, you're like what Joy was just sharing. I didn't even know. You've walked away from him and God is saying, I want you to come back. I'm going to put you on display. I'm going to tell the devil everything he tried to do to defeat you has been broken in my name. I want you to understand that. In fact, Jesus, I just pray right now that by your spirit, you would awaken us to what your grace has done. Because there are people here who feel shame. They feel beat up because of what they've encountered this week and what has been spoken over them. And this is a moment when you're wanting to say, I have loved you beyond everything else you call failure in your life. And by my grace and by my mercy, I want to set you free to become the person I've always known you could be. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, we're almost done. If you're here and you say, man, I'm just wrestling with shame and I'm wrestling with my own hurt. Or you're saying, I don't even know him. I need him. Because if I was in that courtroom, all I could tell you is what I haven't done and where I've come up short. And God is saying to you in this moment, you're my kid. I've redeemed you. I've justified you. I've adopted you. You're mine. If you're here and you say, I'm struggling with that guilt and that shame and that condemnation. If you're here and you say, I don't even know where I've walked away from Jesus and I desperately need him. I believe in the altar, you guys. I believe in the moment of transformation where I simply acknowledge what I can't do and freely acknowledge what he can. If you're here and you say, that makes sense, that's where I'm at, that's what I'm dealing with. You just raise your hand right where you're at because I want to pray for you. And God will release what he can do in this moment. Anybody say, that's me. Jesus, I pray over this house right now for those who are wrestling with guilt and shame and condemnation. 
I'm praying for a breaking free. I'm praying for the fresh realization that Holy Spirit, you can bring when you give us a picture of who we are in you, the hope and the value that we have in Christ. I'm asking this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Together. Mystery. Known. And this last word is the word access. In verse 12, it says this. In him, that's Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Ken, you can come up. And those of you who are helping with, worship team, you can come up. Nothing that you do can keep God away from extending his grace to you. Nothing. He sees what God has done. There's no reason to fear or hide or live in guilt or shame or condemnation. We are accepted, not rejected. The door is open for us to come freely, bluntly, boldly, in absolute confidence, simply because we believe by faith he will accept us. And if you have asked Jesus to be the Lord of your, your Savior and you've walked in this grace that I'm talking about, then this moment is so significant. We have full access to the grace of God. Do you remember the courtroom? Here's the accuser. Here's where you and I stand with our testimony. This is where God begins to say to this enemy of my soul, your soul, you don't get to have them, devil. And then he says to us, you have full access to the bench. You have full access to the throne of God. You have full access to come boldly before the throne of grace. And nothing and no one no power in heaven or on earth can keep you away from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? Jesus, help us see it. Holy Spirit, give us a picture of it. Give us a picture of it. Can we stand together? pray that you have found some practical hope for your life and future in this message today. And we thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with others. You can find information or contact Sequoia Community Church in Oakland, California online at myscc.co. On Instagram, you can find us at SCC Oakland or search for us on Facebook.